Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ADSR Inspirations Podcast. My name is James Mallion. I'm your host as I introduce you to inspirational and artful souls from all over the world. I'm deeply interested in music, film, the arts, achieving goals, overcoming struggles, and big ideas. So join me as we uncover some life lessons and knowledge. We're based out of Tokyo, Japan, and we'll be speaking with people from all over the world, ranging from artists, musicians, creatives, leaders, big thinkers, and those who strive to do and be great. Thanks for listening along. Now let's get inspired. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode two of our season two of ADSR Inspirations. We got a fun one today with an artist musician who's doing big things and really gaining some momentum in the new year with his art and especially with his music. Our guest name is Jay Holmes, a dude I've known about for a while. He's an amazing visual artist. He's hosted an awesome radio show here in Japan called Mystery Cuts Radio that you should all make a point of looking up on Mixcloud. And his band Fever Moon is also super talented. They recently released two albums on the same day late last year. They're currently playing shows in the Tokyo area with some big things in store for 2023. So before I talk too much about it, let's jump right to it. Here's my chat with Jay Holmes here on ADSR Inspirations. Thank you, James. Good to be here and good morning. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. So yeah, like I said, I think a lot of people know you from your music or your radio show that you did. And I'm sure there's many others like myself who got introduced to you through your art and your design work. Uh, I'm a bit curious to kind of take it back a little bit uh, to dig into your backstory and your journey to Japan. I guess the path sure. that's kind of uh, led you to becoming a full-time artist and highly involved in the music scene here with your shows and DJ sets and all that. Uh, I heard you mention that you had visited Japan, I guess, in the early 2000s, and you toured here with your band, I believe, at the time. It was the Ladderbacks, and you know you were studying art and design formally, I think, in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So at that time, was it kind of a goal or a dream to sort of get over to Japan and see if you could work here or work as an artist or a musician what was uh what was sort of the process of getting over to japan well i mean this this whole thing really goes back i guess back to uh even when i was much younger when i was um you know even as a as a younger guy i was still really into music and things like that and was going to the old um uh thrift stores or the recycle shops you know and looking for those uh in those dollar vinyl bins the boxes one day i found a an album by a band called the blue hearts and many people don't know this but you know it's a huge japanese band of course but they also had a brief american record contract with a portland-based record label called juggler records who basically kind of put out like two compilations of blue heart songs that were really big in japan and created two kind of made for American audience albums. Okay. I found one of those one day in a bargain bin and 
didn't really know what this was. Looked kind of cool. I think it was like 50 cents. Took it home and put it on. And that was kind of my first real exposure to like maybe like Japanese music or Japanese language even per- perhaps. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, totally dug it, you know, kept it all these years. And then later eventually started meeting some people from Japan. And when I would ask them, have you ever heard of the Blue Hearts? They were flipping out. Like, how does this random mm-hmm. kid know? about this huge band that's that so many Japanese people loved, especially in the eighties and the, and the, uh, that, that time. And, um, that's kind of like where the sort of interest started. I think mm-hmm. when I look back, it all has to do with that record, <laughs> finding that run record and sort of like getting hooked into it somehow. From then on, I started getting really into Japanese music and a lot of underground stuff, a lot of punk stuff from that time. And much like other people at that era, you know, pre-internet, it was a lot of obscure magazines digging through, you know, trading tapes with people through the mail zines, which I used to be involved in nonstop. And um, so that's kind of how it started. Um, You know, fast forward to 90, I think it was around 95 is when I first came to Japan as a, to visit. And um, mostly in like the Kansai area. And uh, totally loved it, had a great time. And then when I did a tour in 2002 um, with the old band, The Ladderback, that was when I sort of had a concrete idea that I could plant my flag, so to speak, right, on, right. on these shores. Not in any kind of weird Columbus type of way, of course. But, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I just I kind of felt like, okay, I think I could carve a spot here. Mm-hmm. for me and find out um what I can do here. Um at the time though I was actually working um in the music business um working you know graphic design for like a big record label like a huge major label in the states. So the cool thing was is that I could come so I first moved to Kyoto in 2003 after that band tour and I was doing freelance work still through that old record label. So the cool thing was I would I would wake up and I would do the CD designs and then, you know, it would be ready for them in New York the next day. You know, so it was, it was a it was a cool system for a while. Yeah. Right, right. So that first trip, that first trip in 95, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was just uh, that was just kind of on your own accord. You just kind of wanted to come over and check it out. And uh, you yeah. decided, you know. Kansai was the area you wanted to go to and yeah in fact it's so weird James because at that time I was really purely obsessed with Osaka and Kyoto um I think a lot of the bands that I was really into at that time had roots around there and that was kind of more my style I had zero interest in living in Tokyo. In fact, I remember telling myself I could never live in, in Tokyo, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a really odd thing now that I think about it. But I, I think other people who live in Kansai kind of still have that sort of vibe sometimes, you know. Um, but, you know, having said that, uh, you know, I lived in Kyoto for only two years, actually, at the time. Mm-hmm. And um then moved to Yokohama and, uh, you know, so now I'm residing in Tokyo since um, at least the past 10, 12 years. Yeah. 
Right. So right. I've had I've had a pretty nice little um taste of the the you know this area of 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 a little bit of Kansai, a little bit of um Yokohama and and uh, Tokyo. So right. But now well, I do love Tokyo. I do love Tokyo, of course. Yeah. Warmed up yeah. to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So on that first, I guess there was the first trip in the mid '90s, and then. That was just for a couple of weeks then, I guess, on your first visit here. And yeah. was it was it just like touring around and checking out music and stuff like that? Yes, 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 exactly. I mean, I was just, you know, it's just much like anybody else who comes here for the first time. Um, just, you know, taking it all in and, uh, you know, loving it. And then going through that really embarrassing process of coming back home to the States and having all my friends tell me to shut up, the more I just kept <laughs> talking about the crazy things that I saw and the unbelievable toilets and, you know, pe- no. people just couldn't believe it. They were just like, you are insane. There's no place that, that, that this stuff is real. And um, so it was funny. Like when, when the, when my old band, you know, came over together, <laughs> it was their first time. To, to visit and they were just like okay i'm sorry that i <laughs> yeah. ridiculed you all those years ago for <laughs> yeah 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 you weren't so making funny. it up right? yes exactly <laughs> so, so then what, what was the process in deciding okay i'm actually gonna try and live here or make a go you said you were still working for that music company you yes. had kind of got the okay from them you could sort of work remotely or mm-hmm. yeah, what, yeah. What, what was that process like um actually you know what it was it it was it was just one of those things where i just um i guess i had just um settled in my mind that that was how it was gonna be and um you know at, at that time i was 29 so it was a pretty good, you know, still fairly youngish, more or less. And like, just decided like, now I'm, I'm going to, it's now or never basically. And I just yeah. made sure, I mean, it was literally one of those things where I, uh, you know, sold tons of records. <laughs> you know, this was back when eBay was still a flourishing gig, you know, oh, okay. it was still sort of like a miracle. Just like, man, I can sell so many of my records. And I was, cause I was a, still, a, you know, a big collector at that time. And I sold about 90% of my vinyl at that time. And just, you know, I just, um, uh, it's actually a crazy story, man, actually, because the, my old job at the record business, um, in the mail room was a very sort of, you know, typically, um, comic stoner type of dude <laughs> that you see in like the movies like hey yeah. man it's... <laughs> and the crazy thing is i came to him one day and i said hey you know what i've got about i don't know five or six giant boxes that i want to send to tokyo do you think we could like do this sure man no problem dude i'll you know so he actually sent all my belongings that I had saved um, via FedEx straight to my new apartment in Tokyo, uh, in yeah. uh, in, uh, in Kyoto, yeah. And so that was a, a crazy coincidence that just worked out awesome. 
Um, so shout out to Jason for doing that for me. That was, that was crazy cool. I'm not even sure if he remembers that, but it's pretty rad. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I kind of just came here with like, just, you know, like less than 50% of the stuff that was in my apartment back in the States. Um, and just decided I was going to make a go of it. And I wasn't, you know, I kind of just, it's just weird. You know, at what, at some point in time, you sort of like, you spend a lot of time, whether it's a big life decision of any sort, you always asking yourself, am I ready for this? Am I ready for yeah. this? You know, yeah. whether it's like a relationship or a family or a new job or whatever. And at some point in time, you know, I think I just was like, I just decided, you know, now is the time I'm going to do this. Sure. And no matter what it took, I was just going to, you know, forsake all my, you know, concerns <laughs> for better or for worse. And, yeah. uh, make that jump and you know the, the it it's you know it's it's never something i've regretted all this time so you know a lot of that stuff is all about your mindset as well mm-hmm. you know yeah. so right yeah yeah i think like you said sometimes it's just you kind of get the feeling all right if i don't do this soon you know i'm never gonna do it so yep i don't i don't have anything to lose really true it, it, that was exactly right and um yeah, it, it was, it was kind of like, you know, part of it too, I think was, you know, when you come here as a tourist or as a visitor to Japan or anywhere overseas, it's one, it's one thing, but when you come over here with your band, <laughs> you know, that was an awesome experience to tell you the truth. And I think that was sort of like a real, uh, maybe a, a confidence boost or a real game changer just in terms of like thinking I could do it because to, to be honest with you the 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 tour was a huge success and great response and made a lot of friends and and probably you know boosted my my level of confidence in terms of the actual overseas move from Raleigh North Carolina to mm-hmm. Tokyo uh, to, to, right. to uh, Kyoto <laughs> yeah 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 Tokyo came a little later yeah yeah. Um, so I guess when you got here, um, did you have like an idea about, okay, this is going to be like a couple year thing, or this is going to be, you know, I'm going to be here for my life or, yeah. y- y- you know, what was kind of your mindset coming over oh, then? Well, I mean, the first, I would say that at least the first two or three years was, pretty up and down in all honesty, you know, mm-hmm. pretty up and down, uh, emotionally and like, you know, just trying to figure out like, you know, um, my footing and trying to get my, you know, I think a lot of people have the same kind of story, you know, once you actually like start setting roots here, it is a little bit of a different, uh, it's a different gig, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so kind of going back to what I said before, the kind of the glory days of like coming here as a tourist or as a band and then coming here to live as just a schmuck, <laughs> you know, is a, is a, and it, it, don't get me wrong. I didn't come here with an ego thinking like, I'm going to like rule this town or something, but you know, just trying to fit in and trying to do my thing did prove to be difficult. Number one, looking back on it now, um, you know, Kyoto has a ton of beautiful art schools 
and um, and students who will basically, you know, work for nothing to join a company. So on that front, the actual level of um, trying to get into the design field around there proved to be really difficult for me. Mm. Um, impossible, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really couldn't make any headway whatsoever, um, you know, despite having, um, you know, uh, despite having names like Walt Disney and Black Sabbath and Neil Young on my resume mm-hmm. of doing past work. Because um, I, I worked for Disney for quite a long time which not many people know about. Um, and, uh, but, you know, even, even stuff like that didn't really make a dent in trying to mm-hmm. like get into like design gigs there and things like that. That was a disheartening period for me um, of my life. And um, things didn't really sort of like pick up until I actually came to Yokohama. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I was still doing the freelance work there. Um, but, um, at, you know, at that time, Sorry, I'm kind of jogging my memory back 20 years ago, but close to that time was the was when like a lot of record labels were sinking. Mm. And and at least about a year or a year and a half in of living in Kyoto, the record label was in bad shape. The one I was working for doing freelance work and um, they ended up kind of tanking their office in Raleigh. They still kept their London office and their um, New York offices open. Tell you the truth, I'm not even sure if they're still around, honestly, man. But um, oh, okay. you know that that gig kind of, you know, eventually evaporated. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but yeah, it wasn't until I actually came to Yokohama and I fell in with um, Koichi from Thrash Zone, and him and I hit it off right away. Mm. And I think it had only been open for about a year when I first met him, we had a lot of similar interests, you know, mm-hmm. um, old heavy metal stuff and punk stuff and, uh, and, you know, craft beer. I mean, he was, he was really one of the very first brewers in Japan to really push hoppy beers. Right. Right. Now it's, now it's, uh, you know, it's as common as, you know, as, as, uh, you know, a glass of tea just to, to, you know, to some extent, <laughs> yeah. but you know, back then it was just like insane to think that he was making some dank, <laughs> yeah, crazy beers that, that, right. that, that's why it was such a funny thing. Cause his, his whole expression back then was extreme beer only. I don't know if right. you remember that, yeah, but yeah, that I was the you. t-shirts. That was everything. And because back then it was, it was considered extreme for Japanese beer. Sure. Yeah. You no, know, back then it was just like really like all German styles. Mm-hmm. nobody was putting crazy hops in their beer. Nobody. Right. And I think right. a lot of people don't really think about that these days all that mm-hmm. much. And I think he's got mm-hmm. his own style that some people do or don't like about beers. Cause, but to this day, I still think like, man, that guy kind of started the wave in Japan, at least, you know? Right. Yeah. At least like you say for domestic brewers, yeah. he was kind of ahead of the curve. For sure. For sure. Right. Okay, so yeah, just to kind of uh, just to kind of get the timeline uh, set in my head here. So then you were kind of still doing freelance artwork, you know, around Always. the 
Oh, okay. Always. Yeah, always. <laughs> never, um, never stopped, really. <laughs> <laughs> never stopped, right? Okay. So what uh, you mentioned, like, it was a little bit harder than you sort of anticipated around the Kansai area. So yeah. then what, what kind of, is that what sort of prompted the move to uh, Yokohama and the Kanto area then? You just kind of needed a change of scenery and wanted yeah. to see if things were different over here? Well, well you know what, man? The thing is, is that... um. Um, just like anybody else, if the money's not coming in through your dream or your goal, then you find another way to make bread. And mm -hmm. of course, what do I do? Bam, English teacher, go. <laughs> so, so no shame, right? But, um, no, but what happened was I, um, I was, um, teaching at a school, um, out in this little kind of countryside area called Dito, which was about, um, near like Shigaken, I think. So it was like a, a good hour and a half commute from Kyoto one way, soul draining commute, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so anyway, what happened was, um, for some crazy reason, the management really liked my style and they wanted to hire me to train their staff in their Tokyo offices. Uh, and and uh, I'm sorry, they're uh, Yokohama offices. Yeah. So so then they pretty much, you know, got me to move to Yokohama area. Mm -hmm. And uh, and um, and actually there I started doing a lot of sort of, um, you know, kind of like bigger paintings and stuff like that and doing some murals on their walls and things like that for them. And so I was still doing freelance, all, you know, all the time, even through through that gig yeah. and whatnot. Um. So yeah, that that was basically what prompted the move to this area, right? Um, right. For good, for better. Yeah. Would you say that the freelance artwork sort of picked up after you moved to Kanto as well, or it was still a little mm -hmm. bit slow at that time? Definitely, it definitely did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, for sure. And I think too, at that point in time, um. Gosh, I I, can't, I don't really remember when my exact like social media <laughs> uh, christening was, but I remember yeah. at that point in time I didn't even mess with social media at all. I, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Facebook was around and things like that, but I did not get on it. Um, you know, it's, I, it just hadn't like clicked in my head. I, I had started to get some friends of mine from overseas who were trying to tell me about all this stuff, and it just didn't mesh with me at that time. And so it wasn't really until I think around 2000 and um, gosh, maybe 2010 or 2011 <laughs> that I started to kind of like jump on a bit more and then, you know, kind of like share a bit more artwork out there and tell people what I was really was going on. And, you know, then it kind of picked up quite a bit more for, for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's funny, man. It's a lot of that. Even now to this day, word of mouth is still the best for freelance recommendations and things like that. Um, right. So I think still I depend on probably at least, it's got to be at least half and half, like word of mouth. And then, um, you know, stuff from strangers online to, to, to get some freelance, some freelance right. work. Right, right, right. Yeah. But it definitely, for sure, for sure. It's picked up. Yeah. Oh, since, since moving to, um, since moving to, uh, Yokohama and Tokyo. Yes. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, 
in terms of the music side of things, mm-hmm. were you always kind of trying to stay involved and um, maybe playing music or DJing? I know you, you've probably always been, you know, collecting records as well yeah. throughout that whole time. How was the how was the music side of things going around that time as well? Yeah, I mean, as far as the music goes, when I moved, I had a very weird passage <laughs> of time. I basically went from um, my old band, who we were like we were like workhorses. We we practiced twice a week every week. We toured. We put out records, and just constantly, you know, pretty active. We played locally all the time. Moved to Japan and it was f- just dead stop. You yeah. know, it was absolutely dead. And it wasn't just my, like my playing that stopped. It was my creativity. Mm. I, I couldn't, I had lost all my ability to write a song. It, had, it was, it was kind of a weird thing. Like I just stopped. I just stopped. Mm. Um, not on purpose either. It was really frustrating. I, I literally went through years and years and years of, not being able to produce anything worthwhile or to even pick up a guitar. It's almost like my fingers had just decided to <laughs> take a break <laughs> to, mm. to go on strike or something. Yeah. But what's even worse than that was my brain had stopped, you know, functioning creatively for a while in terms of music. Mm. So that was awfully weird. And I sort of like looked in the mirror and wasn't sure what was going on sometimes, you know, it wasn't until about 2010 that it started to pick up again, where I started to, um, you know, uh, just start writing some more demos at home and things like that. And then I started kind of playing around with a few people here and there, but it was, it was almost like a freelance gig mm-hmm. as well. You know, um, I had known quite a few like Japanese guys from the, uh, the old tour and they wanted to like start a band and get me on board. And we had done like a few things, like this was at least two or three bands. We, we tried this. But like nothing really took, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, but you know, like I said, I I just started demoing more at home and uh, kind of learning a little bit of how to do some home recording, lo-fi type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But during that that whole time, I was kind of maybe rediscovering again how to, you know, get into song craft and things like that. Um, You know, before it had been a pretty... I'm not sure if you've heard the old Ladderback band, but that was pretty much like a really intense, like um, uh, a really intense, not quite like a hardcore band, but a pretty like um, like epic math rock with lots of time changes and lots of crazy drumming and lots of fast, mm-hmm. you know, crazy riffing and weird stuff and a lot of screaming and <laughs> yeah, and you know. I, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was fun. And I still love that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not the kind of stuff you sit at home and you demo. (laughs) So, so I kind of had rediscovered like a different way of how I'm going to write songs. And, and I, I remember the time that I actually like wrote something that sort of like, sort of took me back a bit, you know, it kind of knocked me Mm -hmm. out. I was like, Whoa, that's actually kind of a, I think I've got something a little bit solid here. And, Mm -hmm. You know, and then I sort of explored that more and more. And to make a long story short, though, the uh, I ended up recording um, 
that first Fever Moon record was actually recorded about seven years ago. Um, and it, I went back to the States and um, rented a studio. And what happened was some guy had heard the demo somehow. And I'm not sure if it was through my brother. Um, but um, t- because what, what I was doing, James, actually, I was, I was creating these demos, but I wasn't sending them to anybody. I was mm-hmm. like sending them to my to my family and my brothers. Like here, here's here's you know, like ten songs I recorded last month or something. Yeah. So my brothers had all these like CDRs, and then I get a a message one day from a guy who I sort of had known back in Raleigh, but he was like a studio guy. And he said, "I've heard the demos, and I think we should make an album." Mm-hmm. So I enlisted um, a few of my friends from the old band to join in with me. Sent them the demos, taught the songs, flew to the States and um, recorded it. It turned out really great, but for some reason, I just sat on it. Hmm. I did actually send it out to a few record labels, like indie record labels, but there was no interest. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. But what's really odd is that about two or three years ago, talking to some friends of mine, actually it was um, Albert from AQ, yeah, and my friend Alessandro, and we were drinking, and then and then they didn't even know I played. Oh, really? <laughs> they really didn't even know, and I said, "Oh, actually, you know, I made this record, of, you know, a few years ago." Oh, let you know, let, let's hear it, let's hear it. And they played it, and they they really dug it, they loved it, and I was kind of taken back by their enthusiasm for it. Actually, I was kind of wow, you know, thank you. <laughs> and then I started listening back to it. And I was like, man, you know what? This is actually a pretty interesting sound that. I'm going to, I could explore some more. Fast forward to, you know, just 2021, I guess. Mm -hmm. And just started writing tons and tons and tons of songs. Mm. I um, I think I probably wrote close to, close to 40 or 50 songs in that year alone. Yeah. Um, Part of that might've been to due to the, uh, you know, the pandemic and whatnot, having a little bit more time. Right. And maybe a certain creeping sense of mortality in the whole world or something like that. Yeah. But nonetheless, whatever happened was I, I really started, you know, getting a lot of songs out and they were just pouring, you know, like the faucet was on suddenly. Mm-hmm. And so I just made a real conscious effort to catalog everything I was doing, mm-hmm. which I usually hadn't done before. Usually I would just record a quick demo, work on it a bit, kind of, you know, make it nice, but I wouldn't really go to the effort of like really writing down the notation of the music and really like, um, tweaking it and trying different versions and whatnot. This Mm -hmm. time I did. Mm. And you know, when the smoke cleared, I realized I had a pretty solid selection of songs, maybe for a record. Right. And I was like, okay, I could do another fever moon record, I think, and keep this going. So I ended up calling um, some friends of mine and asked them if they wanted to join. And it was really going to be a um, recording project only. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just thinking to myself, man, I've got so much on my plate. Do yeah. I really need to start a freaking band? <laughs> like yeah. that is a lot of, you know, number one, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of commitment. And it's also a lot of, um, you know, the older we get, the more harder it is to sort of like schedule good time with your friends. You know, it's really mm-hmm. a crazy thing. People have children, people have families, people have jobs. Yeah. And, yeah. and 
but the but these these guys really came through. Um, it was uh Daryl uh, Daryl Baker and uh, Nick Bello on drums and bass, and um, I sent them my demos, and they said this is great. Let's let's do this, and they worked really hard. However, during that time, I also kept writing. <laughs> yeah, and um, and it was it was literally one of those things of just like okay, I'm just gonna get my guitar out and just like you know clean it or change my strings and all of a sudden you know i had like two more songs i was like damn yeah. <laughs> what am i gonna do with this <laughs> so then actually i decided you know what i think i've got two albums <laughs> mm. and um so uh so yeah that's that's kind of how that all blossomed into into a crazy year <laughs> right right it, it was kind of do you consider it they were released at the same time, yep. right? The mm-hmm. same date. Do you consider it a double album or like separate releases? It, it's kind of like a unique way, you know, a lot of people would have spaced them apart or yeah. done it as a double album. Um, but like the way I see it is like two separate albums just kind of released at the same time. What was what was your thought process behind that? Yeah, I mean, I, I had thought about experimenting with is this going to work as a double album is that too pretentious is that too insane and then i realized it was even more insane to do two albums at at just one time (laughs) yeah um i consider it to be sort of like twin you know Mm -hmm. like a twin release like they're not they're 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 not exactly associated but yet they are so they're sort of like a twin album release but i couldn't i couldn't do it as a double album of just one it just didn't make any sense conceptually um so as insane as it is, I uh, just decided that these were going to be released on the uh, as just two albums. <laughs> yeah, pretty. It's, I know it's a weird. It's a it was a weird concept. I know, um, but I didn't really know what what else to do because I just, um, you know, they were they were both recorded. So the crazy thing is, when I went to the when I was talking with the studio, I basically told them, you know. I'm going to be doing two different recordings, two different albums. And I ended up recording actually 24 songs. And, uh, you know, I ended up cutting it down to 10 songs per album just to make it more concise, and a cohesive listening experience. But the studio guy, the guys in the studio were just really laughing like, how, how are you going <laughs> to do yeah. this? But I literally had about, I just had like a scroll of just like the plan, how it was going to go, how it was going to work out. And the cool thing was though, I actually, you know, I called in favors from some friends and I just said, do you want to come in on, you want to come to the studio on this day? Do you want to sing this song? Mm. And, um, and people were so cool about it. They, they just jumped in on it. So it was, it was that was really kind of helped boost the project to me, just that people joined in and, helped mm-hmm. out and that that kind of made it more of like a fun ordeal it was like a party you know it's really it was a great it was a great time right. um i i don't i don't know if i should even mention this or not but i actually ended up recording two more albums in december of last year oh wow okay right. yeah <laughs> um which is also insane but like i said i had the songs yeah. Um and I had the I had the people who wanted to play it. So I they're not completely finished but you know they just they need like um just waiting on like some you know like bass to come in and stuff like that. But um 
but yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's just one of those weird things, man. Music's always been there for me, um, but the songwriting has just been insane lately. Now, as far mm-hmm. as the DJ stuff goes, that the DJ is actually really new to me. Okay, I only so when my when my old podcast ended, I did twenty nine episodes of that Mystery Cuts Radio. Mm-hmm. When, that what was, year did uh, that start? Yeah. Oh, let's see. That started about 2000 and um, I want to say 2017, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What was, uh, what was, I guess, sort of your, you know, inspiration or what kind of yeah. drove you to want to, to want to start that? I mean, it's really cool. I kind of, um, the way that you did it, like I've listened to a few episodes and I really dig it. You, mm. you, you do a lot of like, you do a lot of research and you explain yeah. stuff to people who might not know the tracks or the artists. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, um, I mean, different genre of music, but uh, you know, James Catchpole's uh, sure. jazz show that he does where he really gets sure. into um, the background and stuff. Um, yes, yes. It reminds me a bit of that, which I also really dig. So I know it must have been a lot of work for you as well, but for the listeners, um, you know, who are into it. Yeah, it's totally, totally. Yeah, I love James. Yeah. Um, Yeah, actually, I'm also a huge jazz fan. So him and I get into the jazz talk quite a bit often. Mm -hmm. Um, But that whole thing started with Mystery Cuts Radio was literally just from going to the record store and looking at those old... um, like Japanese seven inch records and kind of just picking them up on the cover based on what looked cool, what looked interesting, what looked kind of funky. And then going into the research mode for those. And then when I started doing that, then I kind of got the idea to share that information. But I was like, how can I do this? Cause I want to play the music as well. And share the covers. And then I was just, oh, I think a podcast is the way to go. And, you know, I kind of looked into it. Like, is anyone else doing this with this um, old Showa Kayo music? And nobody was. And I was like, okay. Okay, I think I got something, you know. And when I first started, I was actually kind of mixing it up with um, a few other, like, genres. Um, Maybe, like, the first three to four episodes are a little bit, like, of a mixed bag. Like, half Japanese stuff. And some punk stuff or some um, like girl group stuff that I was into. Um, But, you know, eventually it just sort of became just a strictly Showa Kayo related, um, uh, you know, a focus on the music and yeah, it's, it's, it was great fun. I love doing it. And, um, but man, it it really took time each episode, you know, a lot of research. Um, Cause you know, I would kind of try to do about, I don't know, maybe around 15, uh, 15 different artists per episode. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is you can really find some pretty wild, weird stuff from that time, you know, based on the covers alone. My God. Um, right. But yeah, I loved it, man. I love doing it. So the crazy thing was like after Mystery Cuts Radio stopped, that's when I sort of jumped into doing art and design full time. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, I've already got this Instagram mystery cuts. 
let's just call the business mystery cuts. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it stems. I was like, I've already got like all these, <laughs> you know, some followers already. So I might as well just, you know, completely shift the, <laughs> like a rude shift of the boat, you know, steering the boat in a totally different way. Hang on, everybody. Yeah. It's no longer a podcast, <laughs> but now it's going to be my art thing. So, right, but right. yeah, it's just one of those crazy things of just like, um, I don't know, the name kind of stuck. I kind of liked the name. I thought it was a kind of a cool, um, it just, you know, it had a feel. So I just stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to kind of like piece things together, then the art, yeah, the, the freelance art was kind of always on the go. And then music yep. was on a bit of a hiatus, but then you mm. sort of really got, I guess, probably even like you said, that 10 year ish time when you weren't really writing and playing music, you were still mm. really into music and were you going to shows and stuff um, in that? Yeah. So I'm sure you were still into the scene and everything. Sure. But, sure. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was definitely going to a lot of live shows for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then what, I guess it's around, like you said, you shifted mystery cuts radio to the art design business around mm-hmm. i guess what 2019 mm-hmm. around that time frame yeah mm-hmm. what what kind of gave you that that feeling or that confidence to say okay this is this is what i'm going to be able to do full time and i'm going to you know make a make the shift make a go of it um, to do this for a living was there the work was just picking up or you just felt like I have to focus all my energy on this or what was there yeah so at that time I was um my main gig I was the headmaster of an international kindergarten in um Shido Kanadai mm-hmm. and ultra demanding job mm-hmm. um you know, that I was kind of feeling myself sort of slip away, um, uh, you know, from myself and just in terms of, you know, stress and, um, you know, just kind of questioned myself, like, am I really, is this really what I'm going to be, you know, doing? Um, and, you know, I had a few friends that were sort of like in the same boat mentally and emotionally. And I think part of it was um, having another artist friend who was also like not quite in the same spot as me in their life, but he was um, he, he was very encouraging to me to just to basically look at my stuff and say, "This is great. You should do something with this." Um, you know, you should break out of the freelance mode. You should go full time. And he, he really nudged me along for quite a few months until, you know, finally I came to him and I was, and I, and I had a few, like, um, I had a few like really um, stupid little sketches that I had done (laughs) and they were really raw and rudimentary. And he said, I love these. He said, these should be t-shirts. I was like, really? And so what I did was I made a, I, I had a little bit of a party and I launched the T-shirts during at a craft beer bar called um, Hopscotch. Do you know that place? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. 
it's a tiny little place, but I had like a little party there where I DJ'd and I um sold shirts and they sold really well and it was it was great. And uh and I think from that point in time I was kinda like, okay, this this can happen. Got a lot of good, you know, just feedback from people and and um so yeah, and also there was quite a few like sort of bigger freelance jobs that were on the horizon at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at myself and being like, you know, I basically can't do these big jobs and keep my regular gig. So here's a little bit of a, another push, you know, to the yeah. springboard. And it was much like that time I, uh, you know, made the overseas move 20 years ago. It was sort of like mm. now or never. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I, I still felt like, um, I have enough power, enough energy to, in my soul to, you know, yeah. kind of, um, try, you know, <laughs> in other words, I could approach the change with enough confidence to where I was, um, not afraid to fail. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I, you know, but I also, you know, the crazy thing is I've got kids as well. So that's also mm-hmm. like a huge, yeah, yeah, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Not a, not a, not like a roadblock, but a, a pause, you know, yeah. and I get this question all the time. Everyone asks me all the time, how do you do everything that you do with your kids? Because my kids are still young, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, they're just like, how do you do all this stuff? And I, I really don't honestly know to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> I think over time, though, I've just sort of learned to, you know, kind of create space mm-hmm. um, in my head uh, to um, to do what needs to be done. And I really, really, really try not to let stress and things like that get in the way, because to me, that's the really that'll kill you. The, the, mm. It'll kill your yeah. inspiration. It'll kill your flow. It'll kill your momentum. So, you know, I, um, and also during that time, James, the, uh, I had my first, um, uh, exhibition actually. Hmm. So when I first started, um, the mystery cuts thing, the first thing that I did was, um, a friend of mine in Yokohama, he invited me to come to his gallery to, Mm -hmm. to show. And, um, that was also a really big boost. So. The crazy thing was, I was, I was like, man, I've, I've, um, I've got, uh, you know, nothing to show yet. Yeah. And he said, okay, well, how about we schedule your, um, your show in two months? And so I was like, okay. And at that point in time, I, you know, quit my job and I had that as my first goal. Mm-hmm. that first show that first exhibition and um so that's that's kind of like also a great boost i think at that time yeah right right yeah it seems like sometimes you know if you follow certain signs or like you're listening hard enough sometimes you know like the universe or however you want to call it kind of is like telling you things and yeah. i think some people either choose to listen and choose to follow those and others might not, you know, like you mentioned 
having yeah. kids, you know, myself as well. Like, sure, sure. you know, it's more, it's one thing for someone who's single to just, you know, they only have, they're only responsible for themselves um, to say, okay, you know, if I fail at this, then, you know, that's that. But, you know, when you've got a family, it's a bit of a different thing. You've got babies so, to feed. Yeah, exactly. So, totally, totally, man. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things that, you know, I still, you know, it's, it's always on our mind as parents, of course, you know, that kind of um, push and pull, I think, of our own um, creative struggle, or our own creative output, how we present our, um, um, how we present our, uh, how can I say, our presence to our own kids, though, mm-hmm. is still number one, you know, mm-hmm. um, despite being a really busy dude, I still, you know, never say no to, you know, my kids asking for a story or <laughs> it's so cute. Now, lately, they start asking me to, like, play the guitar for them, like oh, when nice. they're um like going to sleep. So I'll... Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, sometimes I'll sit here just for like 45 minutes, just like, you guys sleep yet? You know, like. <laughs> One but you know, Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that's also, it's kind of funny we like went into this, um, this subject because the funny thing was also when it came to those Fever Moon albums, mm. one thing that was so weird is that my kids would hear me um i guess like demoing the songs or practicing on the guitar sometimes singing them or even just writing them mm-hmm. and then they started singing them a oh, lot wow. yeah. and then that kind of like hooked me into this mindset of um man i think it'd be great if they you know had this piece of me <laughs> on uh you know on uh, like a, this recorded song that'll kind of connect their um, early childhood, you know, memories to, you know, maybe me, like once I'm gone or something like that. I know it's kind of morbid mm. and weird, but, you know, mm. you start to think about that stuff. The older you get, the more your yeah. kids start to get older. And then so it was kind of one of those weird things of like, you know, I'm definitely going to, you know, create this and make it happen. And that was also like a weird um, push in that direction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you find that as I'm sure you you know, your your kids can sometimes push you in sort of strange, like unknown territory sometimes, whether it be the question they ask or their comments. It's right. kind of like twists your brain a little bit. Mm. And so I think that they kind of had a big hand in that aspect as well, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Wild. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, um, you know, lately for yourself, you've been pretty involved in the music. And, you know, mm. you said you just recorded more in December and it seems, you know, like the music side of things is really, really flowing. Um, yeah. Like, do you, you know, but you're still, you know, full-time artist as well. Like, mm-hmm. what do you kind of consider when you kind of think of yourself in your head? Do you have some like concept? Would you say like um, you're a musician or like a, you know, artist, graphic designer? Like, would you say like, there's one passion that's kind of stronger than other another, or does it kind of, you know, like ebb and flow? Like, um, I guess, you know, for example, if you could be doing music full time, would you, or if you could just do art, you know, full time, um, that's that's like, that's like asking someone to choose between their kids though, isn't it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I mean, would never. I guess first, I, I, the funny thing is, I would never actually consider myself a musician at all, because I'm I'm a complete caveman when it comes to that stuff. Like I'm, I can barely tune a guitar, to be honest with you. I'm I'm, I am, I can't read music. I've never actually like learned to play guitar, <laughs> but it's just one of those things that's always been a little bit sort of like in my blood, I suppose, mm-hmm. ever since I was about maybe twelve when I. Like I never even had an, in, an inspiration to be, uh, um, you know, to be in a band or write anything. All that music stuff is kind of a happy accident for me. Mm-hmm. You know, my father, um, a friend of my father's, he had an old acoustic guitar in his attic that he always meant to learn to play, mm-hmm. and you know, ended up giving it to me as a kid. And I was like, "What's this thing? Is this a bass? Is this a?" No. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what it was. But so that kind of started my whole trip when it comes to music. So. To me, music's like a super fun, super, um, I don't know, it's sort of like a lubricant to me in ways of like um, talking to people or meeting people. I, I love that, you know. The musical to me is a bit more fun and mm-hmm. a cool hang. Um, mm-hmm. The art stuff is a little bit more, um, I guess that's a little bit more kind of like, I don't want to say it's more business minded, but I suppose that's mm-hmm. a bit more. Uh, you know, a different mindset for me, but I don't really try to approach either with much of a preconceived um, approach. Mm. You know, I really kind of um, take it, uh, I really kind of try just to take it um, as it comes, you know. When I have like a gallery showing or an art show, I really try to make sure I'm having fun. (laughs) yeah um you know to me i i've done a few gigs of art art wise that were um not fun in other Mm -hmm. words um just a bit you know on the stiff side and to me i like doing something that's more like a party people coming together hanging out talking about the art buying some art discussing it having fun and usually that always involves music as well somehow so to me i really feel like the art and the music is just something that just flows like um you know, it flows together so well for me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really choose between each because yeah, they just match up so well. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I guess, you know, you seem to be in a period of finding some success on both fronts, um, you know, through the art and through the music. If you could maybe give some advice to someone who may be in a similar situation that you may have been, or like if you could, you know, give advice to a previous version of yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone, you know, you know what I mean? Like someone who's kind of thinking, oh, can I do this full time? Or like, you know, what should I do? Like, is there some advice that you'd give someone in terms of like wanting to go full time with like art or with music? Um, Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I think... um... I think my basic advice would be to sort of just trust your gut, trust your instincts, make sure your antennae are tuned into to what you want to do. Um, and I think there's no shame in um, there's no shame in you know having like a part time gig to help you bust through. Um, I think it's also a matter of being really. Uh, it's a matter of sort of being really um, consistent as well. You know, 
I know it's said a thousand times, but you really have to get out there and show your face, <laughs> you know, um, and show who you are. Um, don't be shy because for every person that doesn't dig your stuff, there's going to be three people who do or vice versa. So I think, you know, you slowly build up and no matter what you do, no matter how um, insane or <laughs> or or gory or how creepy your art may be, you are going to find some fans out there. No matter how lame you think your stuff is, you will find a support group. You will find fans who do like what you do and who will want to support you. And I think that's the key to building brick by brick hmm yeah that makes a lot of sense um that i guess like my that concludes my ted talk for today Thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> i like it i like it I mean, like would you say maybe for someone you know listening in the states or canada or whatever and uh -huh. they think you know oh i want to i want to go to japan and uh, i want to try and make it would you say like there's extra challenges maybe as a foreigner coming over um, would you say like, you know, a good base of the Japanese language is essential or what are some yes. of the, like, what are some of the challenges or like the failures that you've kind of had to go through in order to get to the stage you're at? Yeah, I, I think, I think anybody who's going to say to themselves, I'm going to come over to Japan and I'm going to make it, uh, you've already you might want to readjust your attitude on that one for just a moment because um, making it is uh, a big word, you know. Um, I think there's a lot of things to adjust. I mean, number one, I would think you'd have to come over here and you'd have to get a, a sample of what it's like over here first. Um, but I think if you had some connections over here, the all-important connections would be great for anyone who wants to try to come over here. Um, I think, though, in terms of um, mindset and things like that, for your own mental health and for people's um, emotional state, I would say um, make sure you can come over here and make it as a as a human first. Yeah. <laughs> then, <laughs> then um, you know, if you feel like you're pretty grounded, you feel pretty good about yourself, about being around. Um, you know, whether, I mean, I would say the same thing for anybody, any Japanese person who's wants to, to, you know, go overseas to, um, yeah. to, uh, make it big or something like that. You know, I think get your feet wet, come over here and enjoy yourself, have fun, be yourself and create what you want to create. And, um, again, don't be shy, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. Like you said as well, having, Maybe having like another job and, you know, trying on the side at first and sure. kind of seeing the response and putting yourself out there, Man, connecting you, with people. Having been a guy who, you know, has been in bands forever and played with some pretty big bands over my time, mm. you know, there there's a point in time where you kind of look at one of like your, you know, quote unquote musical heroes <laughs> And they're like cleaning the toilets of the club. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, wait a minute. Isn't that the guy from something, something, you know, that huge local band? It's like, oh, yeah, well, he works here on the weekend. He, you know, he, 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 he bartends here. 
so I mean, there is no shame in that whatsoever in any way. Um, dude, in fact, you know, full disclosure, I'm I'm off to teach a um, a class today. I, mm-hmm. I actually teach a rock band class nice. yeah. <laughs> to middle school kids. So I I, I have I so I, I you know, and to me that's still like a rewarding gig. You know, it's fun. Sure. I I I like you know. There's no shame in in having some some part-time gigs to make your, to make your stuff, uh, happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, that's just a fun gig, but you know, it's a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, but yeah. no shame. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's still music too. It's still music related. So <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, recently it seems like you've had this big, like outpouring this musical output. Um, you've probably gone through phases of that with uh, art, visual work, graphic design. Like, have you ever thought like, I'm sure you've got a lot going on. Like if, if you didn't have to worry about like time or money, like if you got some big funding, like, do you have these big like passion projects in your mind that like you just say, okay, if, if I had this, you know, time and all this money, like I would do this or I would do that. Do you have a thing, a few ideas rolling around? I mean, yeah, I've got a few dumb ideas. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, I'm I'm still a guy who still believes in like the power of a record label. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I still, um, you know, I started a record label when I was about, I don't know, sixteen or seventeen years old, and just put out one record. <laughs> but you know, I still think about how cool that would be because I, I'm still a guy who thinks that. That is a cool um, outlet for energy and for, um, you know, not just for my music, but to, to, for other bands, you know, just to have like a roster. Mm, and, yeah. um, you know, I, so I would still love to just take a huge chunk of money, sign two or three bands, um, you know, help them to manage to put out records and to put, you know, together shows and tours. Mm. To me, that's, that's, that's wicked. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That would be that would be kind of like probably the top of my list right now mm-hmm. of just pet projects that I think would be wicked sick if I had a <laughs> you know a giant um uh you know uh a donor who sure. an angel an angel investor right 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 yeah give this man some money to start a label people <laughs> right mystery cuts records uh, yeah yeah it's got a nice ring to it incorporated <laughs> nice. <laughs> Exactly. Next time you talk to me, maybe next time you talk to me, I'll be like chomping on like a big cigar and like <laughs> the new record's <laughs> doing great. The kids love it. <laughs> nice man. Um, <laughs> I guess this kind of like segues into the last thing I got here is so yeah. like um, you mentioned, you know, you got two albums potentially coming out this year. Mm-hmm. I know um, you mentioned when you're on the Mike Watt show that yeah. uh, he did. He did some uh he did some bass work for you how, how did that uh how did that connection kind of come around that's a pretty big uh pretty yeah. big, pretty big name you got yeah that was um that was a pretty um that was a cool thing actually um so basically to, to boil it down to it is i have a friend who's done some work with him before mm-hmm. and you know i i basically said you know I wonder if I could, if he'd want to play some bass on this record. And he said, you can ask him. And I just texted him and I said, Hey, look, I've got these songs and I'm curious to know if you want to play bass on them. 
Yeah. And he wrote back super friendly, super nice. And um, he was basically like, yeah, I'll give a listen and see what I think and let you know. Mm. About two weeks later, out of nowhere, he's like, hey, mm. man, I really dug the songs. Here's here's those songs with my bass. Here's my bass. Oh, crazy. It just like popped in my inbox one day. I was just like, whoa. This happened like <laughs> 11 o'clock, like having like 11 o'clock at night one night. And I just sort of like yeah. s- dropped my jaws like he's on the record. Um, <laughs> And, um, so that, yeah, that was awesome. Um, and, uh, so, so yeah, for, for that record, um, Mike Watts on there. Um, I don't know if you remember this band called braid from Chicago from the nineties, okay. uh, uh, Chris, Chris Broach from braid is, is on the record as well. And on the other record, there's also a few tracks from Mike Watt on there. And, um, one of my friends from this Icelandic band called um, Soul Staffier. Um, he's on there as well. And I might get a few more people on there as well. So the crazy thing is one of them is like a f- full on, like kind of a banger record. It's just a, it's a full on banger record, you know? Hmm. And the other one is actually sort of a bit more of like a, almost a country record actually. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> not, it's not yeah. quite a full on country record, but I've, um, this music producer from LA named Austin, um, he's he's just got his country guitar all over, and it just sounds so beautiful, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this much: I don't think I'm going to release both of those at the same time. <laughs> right. I right. mean, that alone was so much. You know, it was a lot going on. So, I think I'll space these out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they might deserve yeah yeah a little yeah. bit of space between them. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, a little bit so, of space. So a lot going, yeah, a lot going on with Fever Moon in the next little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you have do you have some plans uh, with the artwork as well for the next uh, next year, a couple of years? Uh, yes. Um, there's actually a few. There's two pretty big things that are about to go into the works on that front right now, but I can't nice. really talk about either of those right now. Sure, sure. Yeah. Those are a little bit, um, they're involving, uh, uh, another party that I don't, I, I can't really say anything yet, but you know, it'll be, it'll all be unveiled. Right. Right. Yeah. Looking forward okay, to it. So constant. Yeah. Constantly, constantly moving forward. Grinding away. Yep. <laughs> Grinding away. Right on, man. Um, Cool. Yeah. So I got to thank you for this, brother. Um, thank you. There's just, thank there's you. just a couple questions that I ask, uh, ask at the end to every guest. And, um, you. you know, since this is called the Inspirations Podcast, the, they're related to that. So uh, first one here is what are, uh, what are three things or who are three people that have really inspired you in your work? Or your life, or maybe you know, continue to inspire you. Three things or three people that right. give you inspiration. Living or dead? Sure. Yeah, your choice. Yeah. Um, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is um, John Coltrane. Huge fan of his work and his mm-hmm. his kind of like his vision and how he does things. Um, also, uh, Basquiat. Really into Basquiat. Um, even my kids love watching Basquiat documentaries with me with something oh, really? that we've bonded over so much and they're super fun for them. So John Coltrane, um, Jean-Michael Basquiat. Um, 
third one i'll actually go with i'll say my kids actually they're hmm. they're they're insane and <laughs> but they do inspire me a lot um yeah. and like their crazy feedback on stuff is priceless so hmm. um you know like i said before I, I try to make sure that no matter how busy i am i, I make sure that there's i don't know I'm, I'm, I'm a present dad who's sort of like going back and forth with them so yeah my two my, my kids are definitely the uh the a big inspiration nice one yeah yeah i can relate <laughs> to that yeah those that, that was that was relatively uh quick and easy compared to some people i've asked in the past okay <laughs> right on yeah you you had those uh you had those ready to go um, okay. La- last one for you then, man. Um, Uh-oh. so I guess on the flip side, um, wh- what does it mean to you? Um, someone's, you know, listened to your album or they went to your show or they, you know, go to a gallery and see your mm-hmm. stuff or just, you know, they come across your work and, uh, it kind of inspires them in some way. So, uh, what does it mean for you then to be inspirational to other people? Yeah, that's, that's, that's very, you know, I mean, don't know if I have the words to really put it into an eloquent, um, a, a, a tone, but I will say that that's a really high compliment when someone comes up to you and tells you that, um, that, you know, they've been inspired by something I've done. And I'd like to say that, um, that the artwork and the music and all that stuff is, great and it is great to hear that but it's also really you know it's really cool actually i noticed this this happened a few times and i'm sorry we keep kind of like circling around this same sphere but when people say to me you know that they're inspired by me from doing so many crazy things but also kind of like keeping the family rocking and things like that i think that's sort of like my biggest sort of like you know like Okay, you know, a lot of people can say, oh, wow, you draw, you draw great, or you have a, you can write a good song. But in the bigger picture, when you step back and you look past that, you know, when you look at the frame and you think like, you know, I'm still, you know, trying to be, you know, a nice guy or, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like, like, you know, I think, I think the thing is when people can look back and say, you know, still a cool, he's still a cool dad Mm. (laughs) for now, for now, you know, like that might change, (laughs) but I I think that's that, that to me is kind of like a really awesome inspiration, man. If someone Mm. can look back at that whole picture and kind of say, you know, you still, you still keep your kids, you still love your kids. You're still hanging out. You're still doing this crazy artwork stuff, still making music. Yeah. And I think that is actually a really big, um, strange inspiration that i didn't expect mm. you know I, I didn't i didn't see that one coming mm. um because i really wasn't sh- gosh i really gosh i don't know um but yeah yeah i, th- I think that's probably maybe the biggest compliment maybe yeah. yeah yeah no that makes sense to me like mm. i think for a lot of people you know they were like Oh, I used to play in a band, you know, before I had kids or, yeah. you know, I used, I used to do this. So I used to be an artist, you know what I mean? Totally. Um, not, then, not only, and I had so weird kids to, and all this stuff, but yeah. It's, even like, even like the fact that I think I'm still stoked on music and art so much, you know, like 
some people really outgrow it and that's fair mm. that's fair enough you know god bless if you had your time i'm really thankful that i'm still like waking up and i'm still you know loving to put on a record loving to drink coffee and listen to some jazz loving to like yeah. you know um just to enjoy and to really um absorb music you know it's never been like bgm to me mm. you know i've i've never just sort of like passively done much and i think that is part of a big thing james is that mm. how we absorb the art and the music and, and arts in general how we take it in some of us take it in passively but some of us take it in intensely you know and i think that that's always sort of been my modus operandi is i've just been a very intense person in terms of listening in terms of um um producing creating and i i hope to still continue so there was my chat with Jay, super talented guy, but also really grounded and balanced. As he made clear in the chat, being a family man and a good father is even more important to him than his life as an artist, which is something I really respect being a father to two young kids myself. So go check him out. I know I'll be listening a lot more to Fever Moon and catching up with his radio show, Mystery Cuts Radio, in the next few days. That's all for this week. Go give us a follow or a like, leave a comment on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at ADSR Pod. For myself, our producer, Sean, and our designer, Leona, thanks for listening. Stay inspired. <laughs>